Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Suppose someone dumped a bunch of money in your lap and told you to go out and make some more money with it. What would you do? Maybe you already have a plan. Or maybe you're not a daydreamer. One thing you might do is take a look at how people have done it in the past, uh, how they became millionaires. Back in 1775, Gary Dahl was daydreaming about the perfect pet, one you never needed to feed or take for a walk, one that would never need to go to the vet or the groomer. And while he was daydreaming, what about one that would never die? Cats and dogs can't do that, but a rock could. So he ran with the idea, and he started selling pet rocks. He sold each one at a dollar profit margin, and within a year he'd sold more than a million units, making him a bona fide millionaire. Maybe you could invent a new pet. Ronnie DeLulo was playing frisbee with her dog one day when it missed a catch, something that had never happened before. She guessed the sun may have gotten in the dog's eyes. And so she invented a pair of dog-specific goggles and doggles were born. <laughs> she got a patent on it, and today she moves more than $3 million worth of doggles annually. Even canine ophthalmologists got enthused about it, and today you can get your dog doggles with a prescription lens. Not sure how they get the dog to answer that question, though. You know, which one is better, number one or number two? In 2004, Alex, too, registered milliondollarhomepage.com. Uh, it was a 1,000 by 1,000 pixel blank slate. Uh, pixels are little dots that make up the, what you see on your computer screen. They're too tiny to see, but they kind of blend together. It's very tiny. So 1,000 by 1,000 pixels, um, all empty. And the little the points of light. Companies, he sold them for a dollar a piece, and companies bought them by the dozens, and then they parked a little ad on top of them, and each ad was a, a link to that company's website. Within a few months, two was sold out, and he was a millionaire. He actually became, he moved on to uh, start the app Calm, if you have that on your phone. It's sort of a, kind of a relaxation app with nice sounds and helps you breathe slow, you know, things. It's a nice app. Uh, that's his too. Now, if you're not an original thinker type, though, maybe you should go with something tried and true, like the rent-a-cow business. Who knew? But this, this investment strategy allows some landowners to take advantage of lower, pro lower property tax rates if the land is used for agricultural purposes. Here's how it works. A piece of vacant land at a prime commercial location could be very valuable from a future development standpoint. But until it's developed, it's, it just only generates expenses, mostly from property taxes sometimes into the tens of thousands of dollars. According to The Atlantic, this scheme saves Florida landowners over $1 billion a year. And that makes spending a few thousand dollars to rent some cows a tremendous bargain. Now, no wealthy uh, land developer in, in Florida or Hawaii wants to deal with buying and actually owning cows. But if the land has an adequate supply of grass and fresh water, uh, you don't have to know much about ranching to take advantage of a tax break. Uh, so you just rent some cows. People in the dairy or beef business probably uh, are the most likely to benefit from rent-a-cows because they're not um, going to buy cows for the sole purpose of, of trying to rent them out. Still, 
There's nothing to stop you, someone just like you, from getting yourself a piece of that cow pie. Cow pie, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. I have lots more ideas, but sadly, no more time, because we have to move on to Jesus' parable this morning. Um, about three men are given a unique opportunity to invest large sums of money, someone else's money in this case. In our gospel lesson from Matthew 25, Jesus gives us another parable about the day he'll come back suddenly and without warning. The day he comes back, not as gentle shepherd this time, but as king and judge. Last week we read the story of the ten virgins. Remember the bridesmaids who had to, uh, shown up to wait for the bridegroom to come and about how five of them didn't bring enough oil for their lamps um, to lead the, the wedding procession back to the groom's home for the ceremony. Uh, and while they were out shopping for a refill, the bridegroom showed up. And by the time they ended up getting to the reception, they found themselves uh, locked on the outside, uh, on the outside looking in. The message was, be prepared. Jesus is coming, and you won't know when. Not to catch you napping, but, but to restore all things, to put all things, including creation, right again from the effects of, of sin in the world. And you don't want to be caught napping. And you don't want to be caught doing a lot of other things, I suspect, by uh, the uh, time he gets here. This morning's lesson is a continuation of that same conversation. Jesus is talking with his disciples. And he just rolls right into another parable. This one's a reminder to his disciples that before long he'll be leaving them. That he'll suffer and die and rise again and ascend into heaven. But that won't mean that the work of his kingdom in this world is going to stop. He'll provide the disciples with everything they need to continue that work. The provision came in a spectacular way at Pentecost when the ascended Lord sent the Holy Spirit and his disciples at Jerusalem. The Spirit gave them the necessary understanding of the word of God and the, the plan of salvation. And it also gave them courage to take that message to the very ends of the earth. And he continues to this day providing for his church the body of Christ, just exactly what it needs to, to continue the work he wants us to do until he returns. The gifts we may receive could be uh, very different for each one of us. But we all have one in common, faith. Faith is God's greatest gift. The story Jesus tells is about a man who's going on an extended journey, and he leaves his servants in charge of his property. To each one, he gives the authority to invest some of his wealth while he's away. To the first man, he gave five talents. To the second, two. And to the third man, one. That's no small sum of money. Back in Jesus' day, a talent of silver was a weight. It was as much as 70 pounds. And so there's a lot of money at stake here. Um, In our day, we tend to think of a talent as a a gift or an ability, a skill, maybe. And both definitions should be considered in this parable. The gifts and opportunities God gives according to what we'll need and the stewardship of our monetary resources. So the man distributes the money to each of his servants, each according to his ability, Jesus says, and he leaves. The servant who was given five talents went out immediately and and put his money to work, turning a 100% profit. Turned out he was uh, pretty good at investments. He had a talent for it, and he was bold about it. Uh, Five got him ten. The second servant, the one who was given two talents, doubled his money as well. The lesson in the story really hinges on the third servant, because as it turns out, 
He's a much more cautious man. He invests his talent in the common man's bank of Jerusalem, uh, which is literally a hole in the ground. Actually, that wasn't an unusual way to hang on to your savings back then. Uh, archaeologists are still finding caches of coins that, that uh, buried under what was once someone's dirt floor. After a long time, Jesus says, the master of those servants returns. He asks them to give an accounting of their stewardship. He commends the first, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The second servant is, is commended in the same way, for his faithfulness with his two talents. When the ser- third servant returns the original talent to the master, you know, brushing off the dirt as he, he offers a lame excuse for not even making the, the same, uh, the, the slightest uh, effort to put his money to work, he's denounced strongly with words like wicked and lazy and worthless. That servant was cast into the outer darkness, Jesus said, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a place I want to end up. There's not much of a veil to be removed to understand this parable, except it's not just about the money. The parable is also about how we make use of the time uh, given to us in this life. It's about talents, all right, but talents in both senses. Being a good steward of the gifts and resources and even the opportunity God blesses each one of us with. Now, we don't all get five talents or even two. What we get is everything we're going to need to reach our own God-given potential. We're all blessed in different ways. And that's why the very best kingdom work actually gets done when everybody simply lends themselves wholly to the cause of Christ. Jesus is saying that like the master in the story, he'll be coming back at the appointed time, whenever that might be. And when he does, he'll call each of us to give an account of the, the, uh, the stewardship the, for what we've received. The church is made up of all kinds of people, and it needs all sorts of people to fulfill its purpose of spreading the, the, the good news of salvation by God's grace, his undeserved love and mercy, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. You can see it in the way uh, each of us tends to gravitate toward a specific servant role in the congregation. You know, places where we feel we can best serve. And what committee you decide to join, for example, or help out on a project you decide to help out on. And we don't agree or seek to serve because uh, Jesus might come back tomorrow and zap us into the next life if we don't. We do it from our God-given need to respond in some meaningful way to the, the love God already showed us when he sent his own son to suffer and die for our sins. These gifts and talents make each person uniquely qualified to play a role in reaching out to others with that story of God's love. Especially when we're presented with opportunities that can best be met by our own particular gifts. The end result is that God might be recognized in us and glorified through us so that others might be drawn to him and experience that love of God for themselves. Remember, it's not you and I who ultimately bring people to, to, to faith in Jesus. We just kind of remove the barriers. We, we maybe provide a witness. But it's God who does the heavy lifting, uh, the changing, the, the drawing. God offers his unique peace to a hectic world through his Prince of Peace. And he does it through the work of the Holy Spirit. In his explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed regarding the work of the Spirit, uh, Martin Luther's small catechism says, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel 
enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. Along with the work of the Spirit, putting our individual talents to use in all their various uh, forms can actually kind of plant and, and water uh, potential uh, seed of saving faith. Most of us, unfortunately, are, are cautious by nature, especially when it comes to matters of the heart. There's really nothing closer to our hearts than our life of faith. As a result, stepping out of our comfort zone is, is uh, by definition, going to be a little uncomfortable. You might be able to avoid a lot of pain and stress and even suffering by never taking a risk, never giving yourself freely, never doing something you've never done before, or never stepping out in faith, never investing the talents God has given you. But you'll also never see the result of his investment in you, and neither will he. On top of that, you'll be missing out on the abundant life God wants for you and for those you meet. This is not a time or or a place to be cautious. The stakes are too high, especially these days. Have you ever asked yourself what you might be cultivating with the talents God has blessed you with? You know, you can get a pretty good idea by simply examining your motives. Do you get up and go to work each day expecting opportunities to bring glory to God Or do you do it expecting a paycheck? Are you using that paycheck wisely and generously, caring for your loved ones and contributing faithfully and generously to the Lord's work? Or are you using that money to indulge in more stuff, more of those those, those kinds of things that will inevitably find their end at a garage sale a handful of years down the road? How do you use your time? Does God get a spot on your calendar ahead of everything else? What about your relationships? Do you work to to build others up? Or do you spend a little time tearing others down? Do your own needs always come first? Or or do you first consider the welfare of others? Do you care about others because of who they are? A sinner in need of a savior? Or for what they can do for you? Do you look for those opportunities to share your faith? Or do you shrink from them in fear? Tough questions. Have you ever thought about how you might regret that someday? Think about that today. That's the other thing Jesus wants, to get out of, get, wants us to get out of this parable. What we do here in this life has eternal significance, no matter how insignificant it might seem. Our influence stretches out for many generations, long after you and I have moved on to forever. When we invest our lives glorifying God so that people might see something of God in us, we've immediately... Uh, we have this immeasurable impact on the, on the world, more than we'll ever know. And God can multiply that, that work far beyond anything we could ever accomplish by our own efforts. There's a little prayer that goes, Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. That's a prayer of a, a servant believer who knows God can accomplish great things, even when it doesn't seem like there's much there to work with. It's important to realize and embrace the truth that each one of us already has exactly what we need to accomplish whatever it might be that God has in mind for us. You know, what gift you have doesn't really matter. How many gifts you have, it doesn't really matter. What's really important is that you discover them and put them to use. You know, bearing what God has given you, hoarding uh, that gift or talent, it's the worst thing you can do. You know, we don't have all the same, we don't have the same gifts, we don't all have the same opportunities, but unlike the servant with the one talent, 
We can use whatever it is we have. Jesus is asking us this morning to, to consider what we're doing with what he's given us. Are you investing it in changing lives and making the world a better place, giving people new hope or maybe even a whole new life in Christ? Or are you hoarding your talent? Are you burying it so deeply that, that nobody but you and God will ever know that it exists? It's a serious warning that calls for some serious self-examination, isn't it? But while God has been patient all these years, Peter says, waiting for as many people to come to saving faith as possible, giving them every chance possible, time may be running out. So discover your gift. Use it wisely. Then look forward to the Lord commending you one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.